The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. All right, well, I want to get into the Word. I'm excited to get into the Word. There's great things uh, to pursue here. Uh, I, I don't know how many were here last week. I know sometimes it's hard to make every week. If you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you, uh, if, it's, if it, you can find it online, to listen online. It is online, correct? We have it online from last? It will be, okay. There you go, it will be. I want to encourage you, if you can, if you can find a way to get on there and listen. Last week, uh, we talked about the, the, the way Jesus overcame temptation. We talked about temptation, and I mean, I came in and I told you that I had had a really crazy week that was filled with temptation. I mean, like, abnormal. It was bizarre to me. And what's really funny is when I said that, you get some looks like, shh, we don't talk about that at church. But the thing is, we should talk about that. That was a really interesting thing. It stood out. Some of the things I was very victorious in, other things not so much and had to deal with that. But temptation is a real factor in our lives. In fact, uh, Jesus faced temptation, and we talked about that. The Word says that Jesus was in the wilderness, and he was tempted by the devil. And basically, he's all by himself. But yet, it's in the Bible, which means he talked about it. And then those people talked about it. And then those people that heard it talked about it. And now here we are, hearing about it and talking about it. We're meant to talk about these things so that we can be victorious over these things. And we talked about how Jesus defeated temptation. That he would prophesy. I mean, he was taking the word of God, whether it was the scripture or the spoken word, and he was uh, bringing that into the situation or the circumstance where temptation existed. He used the statement, it is written, it is written, and it is said. And he's talking about what God has written, what God has spoken, and what God has said. And we talked about prophesying as revealing the will or the, uh, the, will or the desire of God in that situation. And obviously that week has, has led us up to this week, and I want to get into the Word, and I want to talk about temptation a little more. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Scripture this morning. One, we're going to find out what produces temptation. We're also going to find out what temptation produces. What produces temptation and what temptation produces. I mean, temptation has a source. When we see temptation existing in our lives, it's an indicator that there's something present that's producing it. And I want to just go ahead and let you know that God allows this to reveal things. And it's very important that we know what it is that he's revealing so that we can respond and we can act on these things. Or else it's never going to get any better or easier. It's just going to get worse and worse. A second thing that we're going to find is, and I mean this is going to shock the ears a little bit, but just bear with me, the lust test. Now, I know oftentimes when we hear the word lust, we associate that with things sexually, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it should be, but I'm not using the word in that sense. The lust test. We're going to find out a, the lust test. Lust in the sense of desiring something, uh, whether it's envious or covetous. The lust test. And then a third thing that we're going to find, if you're taking notes, you're welcome to write this down because we're looking forward to it, is what we need in order to live out God's will. What we need in order to live out God's will. Now, remember, if you weren't here last week, listen to it on, online if you can. But last week we talked about how Jesus conquered temptation and he was prophesying. As temptation came, he spoke the word of God. He revealed the word of God. By definition, prophesying 
to reveal the will or the message of God. To reveal the will or the message of God. Now this third thing that we're going to find here is how to live out God's will. How to live it out. How to let it be more than words, but actually lived out in our actions. There's something that needs to take place in order for that to exist. I mean, let me just give you an example of why that's important. How many of you have ever met a churchgoer who had massive sin issues? Well, how about you look at the person next to you and say, Hi, my name is... Yeah. I mean, there's things that we can get in our head that's in our head academically. But God is wanting to get it in our heart and in our life so that it can be lived out relationally. We're not just meant to have the scripture memorized so that we can say that we've accomplished some religious obligation, but yet it's meant to have an effect on how we function, the choices we make, how we communicate and relate with one another. And that's what God's at work doing so that we can know his will and reveal it not only with our words, but we can reveal it also with our actions. So I want to get right into the word this morning. I'm really excited to talk about temptation. Are you excited or are you scared? Hey, are you tempted to get up and leave? Yeah, there you go. Well, let's not, let's not do that. Let's just get into the word here. What produces temptation? I mean, what produces temptation? It has a source. And now here's something that I would get excited about. I mean, as I'm listening to this, as I'm receiving this, and as I'm distributing this, I get excited because I'm thinking we could spend our lives waging war against temptation But until we can find the source of temptation, it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And you're going to spend your entire life on a treadmill. But if we can find what produces temptation and we can begin to operate as God instructs us with that, we can cut off the source of it. And we can see a reduction or an elimination of temptation in our lives. So let's get into the scripture here and find out what produces temptations. If you're taking notes, you can take down this passage of scripture. I encourage that. Uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14. Now the emphasis is going to be on 14. But there was so much content here that I thought was important to bring. Many of the passages of scripture that we have are going to have some uh, extra uh, information there because it's just that valuable. So beginning in in verse 12, James chapter 1, it reads like this. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot himself be tempted by evil, nor can he himself tempt anyone with evil. Now here comes verse 14. This is the point that I want to make from reading this passage. But each one, each one, that means every person individually, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own, that's possessive, lusts. You just saw the source for all temptation. The source for every temptation in my life is my own lusts. The source for every temptation in your life is your own lusts. There comes a time where we have to own up to the things that are needing to be touched by righteousness in our lives because those lusts that exist in us produce the temptations that cause us to stumble. Every one of us, individually, it's not a corporate issue, it's an individual issue, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So I'm realizing something. 
As I see a world filled with temptation, as I I live a life that's bombarded by temptation, that if I'm to fight toe-to-toe with temptation, I'm going to fight a fight that's never going to end. What I really need to deal with is not temptation, but my lusts. I need to deal with the lusts that exist in me. It's a relative thing. Let me give you a real innocent example, because I think people are freaked out by the word lust. Does it kind of make you feel creepy? I mean, it's a dirty word, isn't lust? It's just so weird. It feels weird to talk about it, but I think we ought to, and I'm excited for where we're going with it. Lust produced the temptations that bring stumbling blocks. If I want to see temptation eliminated in my life, I've got to deal with the lust that exists in me, and those are relative. So here's an example. I mean, it's real innocent, but here's an example. I'm a real sucker for ice cream, right? That's pretty lighthearted, right? But I mean like big time. My favorite, Bluebell Millennium Crunch. You ever had that? Who said, oh, yeah? You know what's up? You know what's up. We shouldn't hang out ever. But man, I mean, I can just eat that stuff. And they sell it by the half gallon because it's meant to be consumed by the half gallon. That's why they sell it like that. Yeah. But you know, if I were to take a bowl of that and, and and take it to my wife who doesn't have a sweet tooth at all and say, man, don't you want some of this? She's going to say, uh, no, thanks. Because she has no desire for it. It's not tempting to her because she doesn't like it. But it sure is tempting to me because I do. So when I see things in my life that are tempting me, I realize there's something inside of me that likes that. And that might not be a good thing. God is revealing the things that exist in me that need to be purged out and surrendered to Him. They're being exposed by these things, not because God Himself is causing the temptation, but because God Himself is enlightening the source of the temptation, which is my lust. The things that are meant to be surrendered to Jesus Christ. We're going to find out how we can do those things here in a moment. So temptation has a source and that source is our individual lusts. Temptation produces something and it produces something really foul. I want to give you a passage of scripture. This is meant to to light a fire of intensity that this is a real important thing for us to catch. There's nothing casual about this. It's a priority one message. James 1.15, it reads like this. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It all starts with lust. That lust that generates that temptation. That when we fail and stumble into it, we walk in sin. And that sin then produces death. That is absolute. The wages of sin is death. There's no getting around it. It's 100% all the time. There's no such thing as a tiny sin, a small sin. It just all produces death. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. You can turn there if you like, or you can write it down. Out of 1 John, it refers to the things that exist as it concerns lust and that they abide in worldly things. You can turn to 1 John chapter 2. I'll read from verses 15 through 17. It starts with this. It says, Don't love the things of the world, nor love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And these things haven't come from the Father, but they're in the world. And then it goes on to say this, and we ought to pay attention to this. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. God is driving these lusts out of our life. He's allowing them to be exposed so that they can be laid at the feet of Jesus so that that which is passing away can no longer be in us. So that we can live life right here and now on the earth, not waiting one day to die in order to live, but that we can begin to celebrate the abundant life that Jesus paid the highest price to bring right here and right now. I mean, lust is a nasty business. It demands obedience. It enslaves. If I were taking notes, I would write down lust enslaves. We need to deal with the lusts that exist inside of us. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, they read like this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Reign is in have authority. And I mean, when you read the beginning of that passage, it, it should set off alarm bells and whistles. Do not let. That means it's a choice. It's a decision. And it's up to who? It's up to you. It's up to me. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Here's the rest of that verse. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that. Can you say so that? Now remember, we like to stop and say those things because they're important. They're revealing of something. If we allow sin to reign in our mortal body, something's going to happen. It's cause and effect. If we allow sin to reign in our mortal body, so that will happen. And the so that in this case is this. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you then obey its lusts. Lust demands obedience. I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. It reads like this, and it's Paul who's talking, and he says, Well, we also once were foolish ourselves. We were disobedient, and we were deceived, and we were enslaved to various lusts. Did you catch that? We spend our, our life in anger and envy and hate, hatefulness and hating one another. And then praise God for the rest of this passage that Paul begins to reveal the, the turnaround, the change that comes in Jesus Christ. In verse 4 he says, But when the kindness of our God and our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of our deeds, which were not very good, but according to His mercy, by the washing and the regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's very important whom He poured out upon us richly through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I hope that something's being established here that we realize that lust is a problem. It's a personal problem, an individual problem. And any individual problems in the body become a corporate problem. We all need to deal with these things on a personal uh, and, and individual level in order to see victory corporately and together as a body. And God's made a way for this. That we don't have to remain enslaved to lust, but because of the love that He's revealed through Jesus Christ, and based on what He revealed here in the book of Titus, that by His mercy, 
with the washing and regeneration, the renewing by the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit does it. If your car was washed by Preston Humphreys, what would that mean? It would mean, I washed your car. We've got to make room for the Spirit of God to work in our lives. We've got to acknowledge the Holy Spirit, the washing and the renewing that God is accomplishing through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives right here and right now. I signed up for Christianity when I realized I was destroying my life. That I was rejecting God's plan and His will. That I had bought into a lie and rejected the truth. And I accepted Jesus as my King. I was born again. Bondages that I once had and alcoholism and addiction were gone. I mean, I was healed and delivered and it was amazing. But then you have the rest of my life now as a Christian. There's a work that's going on that's in real time. It's right now when it's happening that the Spirit of God is constantly at work in my soul, cleaning my thought life and my actions, revealing things that are not surrendered to Jesus that need to be. He's dealing with my lusts. And He's doing the same with every Christian, every believer. That's the renewal and the washing, that regeneration that's going on right now by the Holy Ghost. So I told you we were going to find another thing. It was the second thing I told you we would find, that we were going to to find out about the lust test. How many of you would like to take the lust test? Uh, There's a couple of hands. Well, come on up. I'm just joking. (laughs) I'm just joking. The lust test. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. We're just going to talk about it just for a moment. And it may not quite make sense to you like it does to me, but I hope it does. I really pray that it does. Because what it reveals to me is something that needs to be uh, in the mind of every believer. I mean, it could set off alarms and raise red flags when situations and circumstances are right for lust to prevail. I mean... You have a home, and some homes there are alarm systems so that when doors or windows are open, bells and buzzers go off, right? Well, God has given us opportunities to to have tests and proof that when our lives have bells and buzzers go off, we can be aware that something's lurking and we need to be on guard. That's what I mean by the lust test. I want us to take this passage of Scripture and examine it for the purpose of being aware when lust is at work and when we're at risk. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. That's what I want us to look at. The lust test here. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. James opens up and he says this as he's writing. Now remember, James is writing to Christians. Oftentimes when we read the scripture, we think that, that, that Paul and, and the apostles are writing to heathens because they're talking to him about all of these dysfunctions and corruptions. They're talking to churches. They're talking to believers. So we ought to get into our mind that God's not finished with me just because I'm a Christian. In fact, the work has just begun. So James is writing here, and he's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's writing to me and you. And he says, hey, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's a question. You see a question mark? I mean, he's wanting them to to let the wheels turn and ask, hey, why are we fighting so much? Why is there so much strife? Now, you can stop here, and this isn't just limited to church. It could be the workplace. Why is it that I'm always getting in fights at work? It could be marriage. Why is it my wife and I are always fighting? It could be with children. Why is there so much strife? And James is writing, he says, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not your own desires that wage war in your members? 
And then he says this in in verse 2. You lust and can't have, so you commit murder. You envy or desire and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, when I read that, it tells me something. It tells me that when lust is burning, conflict occurs. That conflict can be between other people. That conflict can be uh, inside and personal. But there's definitely a conflict at work. And the test would be this. I ask myself this. Where I see a lot of conflict, I need to make sure that lust is not being allowed to prevail. If conflict and lust go hand in hand, if the reason for or the source of quarrels and conflict among you is envy and lust, then what I want to do is identify every area of my life where there's a lot of conflict and strife. And I want to go in and begin to examine what lust is at work in this place. Is there some covetousness or disappointment that exists in my marriage that causes me to be so quick to fight with my wife? Is there some disappointment or covetousness with my children that causes me to be so aggressive with them and so harsh on them? Is there some disappointment or some letdown in the workplace that is leading me and guiding me to be so such a a jerk at work? I had to edit that, actually. That's weird, isn't it? Discipline, that's right. And if so, what is it? And here's why these things need to be revealed. Because we are called to be led by the Spirit of God, not by our lust. We're called to be led by the victory of Jesus Christ, not by the hurt and disappointment that exists in this world. We're called to be led by the things that lead to light and life, not the things that ultimately result in death. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it produces death. I think it's important for us to look at the areas of our life that are filled with strife and begin to examine what lusts are at work that we need to deal with in our heart, surrendering them to Jesus. So where does lust operate? I mean, it's got to have a a location. If we're going to go after lust, if we're going to surrender to God's Word and say, I see now that, that if I just fight temptation... I fight an uphill and losing battle. But if I can deal with my lust, I can cut off temptation altogether. So where do I need to go to work? I want to give you a passage of Scripture that identifies where lust functions and operates, where it exists. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to begin reading part of the way through verse 3 here. It says, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Now it goes on to reveal where all of this uh, lustfulness takes place. Indulging in the desires of one, the flesh, and two, the mind. And once again, as Paul writes, he gives hope at the end of this, which is encouraging, and I don't want to leave that off. I want to continue reading from From verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he has loved us with, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I really want to encourage you to read Ephesians 2, the whole chapter. I mean, in your own time. I, I can guarantee you it will richly bless you. But we see here in that opening passage that lust exists and it functions and operates in two locations. In the flesh 
and in the mind. In the flesh and in the mind. So how do we handle lust in the flesh? I mean, that's your body. Right? How do we handle it in the flesh? I want to give a few passages of Scripture that we can stand on as we wage war against lust to cut off temptation. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. That, that's an easy one to remember. 2 Timothy 2.22. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it gives an instruction. This instruction comes from Paul, and he's writing to Timothy and obviously other believers, and he says this, Now flee from youthful lust. Can you say flee? Flee, yeah, I mean flee. Flee from youthful lust and, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But not just righteousness, faith, love, and peace by yourself. He says, with those who call on God from a pure heart. What that means is, get away from worldly things. Run from those things and run to the body of Christ. I mean, if you were saying it in a very cheap and cliche way, you would say, leave the world and go to church. But what I want us to catch here is that the body of Christ is important. As we overcome the lust that lead to temptation, to stumbling, that produce the sin that makes for death, as we cut off those things, it's going to require each other. That's how we overcome it in the flesh. We separate from where it is prone to existence. I've got news for you. I don't drink anymore. Not that I think that drinking in and of itself is a sin, but the drunkenness that existed in my lifestyle was absolutely unclean. And it led to lying and cheating and stealing and all kinds of horrible, horrendous things that did not honor God at all. Those things are no longer a part of my life. I've been set free from those things. I also flee from those things. I don't hang out around them. I don't entertain them in small measures or doses. I want nothing to do with it. When we want to deal with the lust that exists in our life, it's going to require cutting off from the things that feed that lust. And not just that step, because that step in and of itself would have us at home with the shades drawn, biting our nails, really jonesing for something. But we're supposed to cut off from that, separate from that, and then run to, flee from that and run to believers that call upon God with a pure heart. For me to get free from my lust, it's going to require your fellowship. For you to get free from your lust, it's going to require my fellowship. It's important that we see that and that we understand the importance of, of the church body, the body of Christ. It's necessary for us. I remember we're looking at how to handle lust in the flesh. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here. Romans 13, I want to look at verses uh, 12 and 14. Romans 13, beginning in verse 12, it reads like this, Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And let us behave properly as if we can be seen, not carousing in drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and sensuality, nor strife and fighting or jealousy. Now verse 14, this is the point. But, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. 
That's really a powerful statement, that last line. Make no provisions for the flesh in regards to its lust. I mean, if you're looking at that, you can take a look at those words. I don't know if you're like me and you underline things or write things down or circle things, but make no provision is a really interesting statement. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. I mean, we really don't use the word provisions very much anymore. But I want you to kind of take a little step back in time and think about how maybe that word was once used. If you were to go to the grocery store to get groceries, you would be getting provisions, right? I mean, it would be what would provide sustenance for you. Your pantry would be full of provisions. You could come home from work and sit down to a nice plate of provisions. What the Word is saying here is you've got to starve this thing out. If you feed it, it's going to be strong. If you don't feed it, it'll weaken. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. The choices and the decisions that we make have an impact on whether or not our lusts are strong and prevailing or are weak and passing away. We have a choice in this. What we expose ourselves to. I can tell you recently, I had a bizarre situation where, where uh, thoughts that I thought were very unclean were, were prevailing. So I went and I talked to my wife about it. And I said, hey, listen, this is really bizarre. I've had a, a high number of things that I've put in the temptation category, and it's really bad. And so we began to examine things. And we had recently, uh, uh, well, I say recently, it had been maybe six months. We'd gotten a, a subscription to a, a streaming service. And, and this particular streaming service runs all kinds of ads. Their ads are really foul. I mean, every one of their ads has something sensual or homosexual or something really bad, and I'm just letting it in my house. That's just a commercial. And so as we talked, I just, you know, we, we decided, you know, there was a time we would have never let that in our house. Why now have I gotten relaxed and has decided to let that in my house? We've got to cut this off. Because it's feeding something. It's feeding my flesh and making provision for lusts inside of me that need to be starved. So we canceled that subscription. There's things that we can do and choices that we can make to cut off those things from coming into our house and sustaining those lusts that lead to temptation, that lead to sin and stumbling that result in death. No compromise. I want to give you a passage of Scripture and then just kind of discuss it for just a moment. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Galatians 5, 24. It reads like this, and you'll see this throughout the Scripture. Especially from Paul. He, he uses this example often. And rightfully so. Galatians 5, 24. It reads like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Now, I remember as a young believer thinking, that's a really weird way to say that. But yet, I think it's an appropriate way to say it. I want you to consider something. I want you to consider crucifixion for a moment. And because of, of movies and and, and uh, different areas of media, we have an opportunity to visualize this probably better than ever. 
But if you were to, to, to create an image in your head, just a picture in your mind of Jesus being crucified, Jesus on the cross, you, I would want you to ask yourself, what is it to be crucified? I mean, according to this, Everyone who's in Jesus Christ is, has this call to crucify the flesh and its passions. Jesus said you're going to have to carry your cross daily, every single day, to crucify the flesh and its passions. What is it going to mean to crucify? What is that? I mean, the crucifixion is a brutal thing. And oftentimes we, we are, are very fixated on the beatings and the mockings that Jesus endured. endured and, and rightfully so. I mean, those things had a purpose in the fulfillment of prophecy and Scripture and the manifestation of His love and endurance for us. But when we just look at crucifixion itself and consider what it is, it is to become completely immobilized. That's why you're nailed down. Completely immobilized and completely removed from all provisions. No matter how thirsty, you can't get down and get a drink. No matter how hungry, you can't get down and eat. No matter how sunburned and hot and dehydrated, you can't get down and find shade and comfort. You're absolutely immobilized and completely cut off from provisions until you die. We're called to do that with the flesh and its lusts. We're called to give it no room to move. I'll cancel that subscription. No problem. I want to give that no room to move. I'm not going to let that come into my house through advertisements. I won't endure it. I won't allow my kids to see it and think it's normal and okay. I won't let it become okay for me so that then a little more is okay and then a little more is okay and then a little more is okay and before you know it, i got a serious issue. For us to crucify the flesh and its lust, we've got to immobilize it and cut off all provision for it. God's called us to do it. That's how we deal with these things in the flesh. Practical decisions and choices. And then there comes the mind. Because remember, lust was operating in two places. The flesh and in the mind. So how do we handle lust in the mind? I want to give you a passage of Scripture Ephesians chapter 4, I want to begin in verse 22. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 22, it, it reads like this as Paul is writing. And remember, he's writing to us, he's writing to Christians. These aren't people that need Jesus. These are people that are born again, but yet they are needing the work of the Holy Spirit in their life to remove the lusts that still exist. He says, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, then put on a new self, which is the likeness of God, which has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. There's a work that's being done in our mind, the renewing of our mind. We don't talk about it as often as we should in church, and I think it's as big a deal as being born again. I mean, when God is talking about new birth in the Scripture, He's talking about doing a work in our hearts and in our minds. And oftentimes we lose sight of our mind and what it represents and what it is. When I became a Christian, my spirit came to life. 
I mean, my spirit is perfect because of the work of Jesus Christ. Your spirit is perfect. And good luck being spiritual. You are a spirit. You're not going to get more spiritual than spirit. But oftentimes where we run into issues and religious conflicts and things is when we talk about our soul. Our soul is what exists in your mind, your will and your your conscious, your your, um, emotions and your intelligence. Those things, those exist in your soul. And I have a bit of an advantage here because I have twin boys. And I look at my twin sons and I realize that they're Their bodies are the genetic combination of me and their mother. But their soul, they're so unique and different. It really has nothing to do with my genetics. That's what God wove together and made very unique. It it is what identifies them, and it's what identifies you. And your soul is where Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is at work right here and now today. Working on your will and your emotions and and your intelligence with the bringing of light to the scripture and, and revelation. Jesus is at work in our soul. It's the reason why we're continuing to be perfected according to the word God promises to continue that work up until the return of Christ. He's going to continue to work on our souls, in our minds. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 2. I told you we were going to find out what we need in order to live out God's will. Remember last week we talked about revealing God's will. Now we want to reveal it more than just in words, but also in actions. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, it reads like this, Therefore I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Now that's physical acceptable to the Lord your God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Then he goes on to say this in verse 2. And don't be conformed to this world, but then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's your mind. So that, can I get a so that? Yeah, here's the result. When we surrender our minds to be renewed, this is the result we can expect. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good acceptable, and perfect. That which is the complete opposite of the things that are lustful. God's at work in our bodies and in our minds. He's not the tempter, but with every temptation, He's revealing the things that He requires to be surrendered to Jesus. To be washed clean by the Holy Spirit. The things that are enticing us and leading us astray that are personal and individual. He's at work in us to see those things lose their potency and their power to be completely cut off, to be immobilized and denied provision. The choices, the decisions we make decide whether or not we feed those lusts or we cut those lusts off. And God's calling us to a lifestyle of revealing His will with our actions. A lifestyle that's not led by the lusts that exist in us, but a lifestyle that's led by His Holy Spirit. I want to trust God and believe God for something great. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.